This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast and it's the international week is nearly over and the season's going to be back and it's a change for Brentford. We've got a new man in charge, a new gaffer. Dean Smith has flown the roost and we've got the man, his name is Thomas Frank without an S, is at the helm. And we're absolutely potty for it, getting excited as Bristol City are looking forward to come to Griffin Park on Saturday. I'm Billy Grant, I'm sitting here once again in the virtual joint. This is a virtual joint in the UK, but it might be virtual as it can be because I've been all over the gaff the last few days, so I've been in virtual joints in Europe. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But I'm sitting here with my buddies, my pals, as we are going to talk about a number of things as we get excited again for the game on Saturday. Like I said, I've got the lady in the house. Lady, how are you? Evening. I'm very good, actually, mate. I'm very, very good. Yeah, I'm a bit disappointed we couldn't make the um, the actual pub tonight, but there are there are reasons for that, which are all good. So um, yeah, I'm 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 interested in what we're going to talk about tonight because like it's it's continuity. There's a little bit of uh, a little bit of spice to be thrown in there, and uh, I think it's going to be a good old chimwag tonight, mate. Indeed, we like to have a good old chinwag. Like I said to you, we've... listen, whatever joint we're in, we might be in the pub, we might be in the virtual pub, but we're still sitting there with our pints of beer, we've got wines, a few Coca-Colas, you know, a bit of water, you know, we're, we're all over the place, aren't we? So we've got Savvy B in the house as well. Savvy B, I think this is the first time you've actually come in the virtual joint, or, or actually first time for about three or four years, isn't it? I believe 2015 was the last time I was in the virtual joint. Wow. But, uh, but I'm, that, I'm here that, now. Is that the last time you signed on to Skype? Is, is that <laughs> I, I, think it, I think it might be, yeah. It's definitely on the list. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing beer tonight. I'm doing ouzo. I'm feeling all, all Greek oh, as I'm uh, sitting in the virtual oh, joint, yeah. Absolute alcoholic. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> and, and it, I mean, it's International Week, and obviously we're going to talk about that a little bit, but if you're drinking ouzo, are you celebrating? Did Greece have a decent result over the International Week? I uh, haven't got a clue. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, loyal. <laughs> oh, 
Sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt. We, nope. besot, bes, the besotted pride of West London podcast has just passed the nine hundred thousand all-time listens. Excellent. Sorry, round of applause. Round of applause. You see, ladies. Nine hundred thousand people have listened to this shit. <laughs> ladies, been sitting there just pressing the button for the last half an hour, yeah. you see, so they can actually yeah. make that announcement live on here. Nine thousand, hundred thousand listens. It's not too bad as well. As we say that as well, go to Besotted, please. Go to the little banner in the corner, and you can see FSF Awards, and just vote for us in section six and section eight. One of them is uh, best club award and best club media award and best club podcast award as well. It's going to go to the to the to the jury, and they'll have a short list and think. Fingers crossed we'll be on it. You never know. But thank you very much for listening and thanks for that. But lady prompted me. Thank you very much about that. Yeah, 18 lady. months, probably. <laughs> Section right. 1 and 8 sounds yeah. like like a minimum, like a mandatory eight-year term. That's right, <laughs> indeed, you know. So anyway, listen, we've got the Allard in the house as well. The Allard, how is one? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Good to be on time this week, Bill. Well, to be fair, you're, you're, you're very timely last week because when you came in, you came in with a little bit of knowledge that was, was a little bit of an injection of college which was needed. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know about that. I, um, I think most of the points I made had already been covered when I listened back already. Uh, no, no? Good, but we, we'd love, we're just looking for an excuse to just bring you on anyway, so we, we, we moved bar just to make sure that you can actually actually get, your, get, get a little supple in. Which is all good. But listen, anyway, International Week, like I said to you, there's things that have happened, you know, there's been a few international games. And uh, did anyone watch the international football out there at all? No, I was on the radio show on Monday night, Phil. Where were were you on Monday, by the way? Oh, Oh, yes, I was over in Spain, or was it Portugal? Or was it the Canary Islands? I went over to go and see England play, of course, over in Spain. A monumental game, as they say. First time uh, Spain have been beaten on home soil in a an uh, in, in international um, competitive match for 15 years, and they were well and truly beaten in the first half in particular. England played fantastically, finished fantastically, three brilliant goals. Three 0 up at half time. There was a lot of singing and chanting and cheering and all sorts like you know, in, in the stadium. It's quite funny. Real Betis. Um, it's quite funny because Real Betis always reminds me. I think it was a dream team. Because I'm sure that one of the guys there, I mean, he used to love Dream Team, and they said, ah, oh, I'm the same for the British, like, you know, and it's one of those clubs that you think, ah. Oh. I didn't know. You can speak Spanish as well. I can speak <laughs> Spanish, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, my Spanish is almost as good as my French. Um, but, you know, I haven't been practising my Spanish as long, but, you know, but the British. So, um, yeah, it's interesting going along to, 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 to it's lovely, lovely city, Seville, even though it was very wet when we went there. There was, uh, there was actually an incident. Do you remember that time when we went up to Bury that time, and we went up and it was the summer? And by the time we got up there, it was so cold and wet, Ooh. we ended up having to go to that <laughs> shop and buying a couple of Rainmac coats. Um, yes. Um, it was uh, JD Sports or something clear. Right. Uh, yeah. JD Sports. Was it wetter than an otter's pocket? It was, it was wetter than an otter's pocket. So we had one of those scenarios where he was in the restaurant and we looked outside and was like, oh no! And the characters was absolutely teaming it down. So next minute you had the sort of a very characters going to the nearest store to try and buy themselves a Packamac. And when they came back, you've got about eight guys wearing exactly the same sort of brown mac with the, the orange outline, like you know. Oh, and brown and orange. That's there's, right. There's a, he's brilliant. Feed away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that goes down. But yes. The pack and mac was there, and you know it's going to be one of those things that I'm never going to wear again. But it's a really, really, really great trip, and like I said, it's a bit mad for me because I started off in Portugal, 
They made my way across from Portugal in the blah blah car. Have you never heard of a blah blah car? It's like a sort of kind of hitchhiking, but you pay the people. So I got sort of Javier, he picked me up with a blah blah car, took me to Zaville, saw the match, went out, they stayed up till six o'clock in the morning, and then literally left straight from Seville, flew to the Canary Islands to have some lunch. So sat, in the, sat in the Canary Islands, had lunch, chilled out and everything like that, and then flew back home. So uh, <coughs> England away. It's always, it's all good. It was good. A good win as well. So, uh, but anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about Brentford, new boss. Thomas Frank, he's been here for three years now, and he's been learning. Two. It's been two years. Two years, yeah. Sad. You've corrected me. I'm feeling very another, another pedant. Yeah, <laughs> Stato, Stato Savo. Yeah, so he's been there for a couple of years now, and um, he's been, like I said, he's been just learning the trade. He's just been following Dean Smith around, you know, to his house, to the pub, you know, down to his you know, kids' birthdays parties, everything like that. Just learning everything about what you need to do to be a head coach at Brentford, and I think he knows it all now. And he's been given the job, and we're going to discuss exactly how Thomas Frank, we feel, is going to do as the next Brentford manager. No, 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 I'm waiting for you. And Lane, you're singing a song. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Rather shit song. No, it's a good song. Sad thing, sad thing, prophylactic cardiac arrest. So he's <laughs> Have another ruse there, mate. Come on. So, new manager time. And... We were sitting down there sort of trying to make up songs, songs for the new manager and other sorts of songs, but we won't really go into the, the, the actual content of the songs because they haven't quite been formulated as yet. But um, we just can't move forward until we still look a little bit back because obviously since our podcast last week, a week ago, when Dean Smith was announced to be manager of Aston Villa, we did a podcast last week and we discussed a number of things, you know, about him leaving, our thoughts about him going, you know, is it a good thing, is it a bad thing? And we thought, who's going to be our new head coach? And um, we've had a week now to actually get more information and get it in. And uh, we, we just have to reflect back on Dean Smith, which we said to you, listen, as far as I'm concerned, I think Dean Smith's done a, a great job for Brentford. And he's left us in very, very good shape. You know, love it or hate it, that he's, he's jumped ship, as we say, and he's gone to Aston Villa. But, you know, some people jump ship and you're all over the place. But he's jump ship and Brentford, are in, I, think, I think, are in good shape. Um, I think it's testament to that. And I, think it's, I thought it was interesting as well because I was actually, I started to look back at the last game that we played before he jumped ship. You know, as I keep saying jump ship, I can't keep saying left Brentford because it's, you know, <laughs> I have to make it more dramatic, don't I? <laughs> and uh, it was actually Leeds United. So I was actually watching the, the Sky because obviously being at the game, we didn't see... The, the, the Sky Report. So I saw the first, you know, sort of kind of, you know, 20, 25 minutes so far. I still need to go and see the rest of it. But I thought what was interesting is the fact how everyone was just purring about Brentford and saying how fantastic we are and these are the best two sides in the division and Dean Smith's done this and Dean Smith's done that. 
and I was thinking to myself, thinking, hmm, wonder if the Aston Villa sort of kind of bosses are sitting down there watching this game like the Saturday, you know, where he's already sort of pitched up to them saying, oh, I want to do this job and I've got a little plan for you. Going to Leeds on Saturday, see how we do on Saturday. And then if you've gone down to Leeds, we, we performed admirably. Uh, unfortunately, we gave away, going, gave away a goal late, like we did out at, um, what you know, at, at, at Aston Villa. Aston Villa. You yeah. know, but we still performed admirably. And they're thinking, actually, telling yourself, we maybe do a job right here. So I must admit, that was going through my mind at the time. But like I said to you, he's done a great job for us, but we have to now move on because... Uh, one thing we have to remember is that Dean Smith is manager of Aston Villa and they're gunning for one of the places that we're going for and we can't be having any of that. So it's um, no love lost anymore. Thank you very much, Dean Smith. You know, you've gone and you've tripled your wages and, you know, we've both done a good job for each other. Brentford's been good to you. You've been good for us. However, it's all over now. We need to go on and do our thing. But guys, what are your thoughts um, just in the last week of the Dean Smith scenario and also what's been said by the various parties? Yeah, it's it's a it's a little bit um it's a little bit mixed feelings if I'm honest with you. I'm really I'm actually really glad that Thomas Frank has been um, appointed the new head coach. There's continuity there, obviously. There's familiarity. Um, he he's obviously on the on the training pitch every single day. He knows the players inside out as as well as the other you know as well as O'Kelly and and uh, Dean Smith. So you know I'm excited in so much as that. I'm sure that he's sat there as as Bromby ex head coach, and he's going to have his own um, opinions, his own philosophies, his own take on on certain players. So I, I think we we're all of, on the same wavelength here that we we've, we've been really good this year, but we're we're nowhere near the finished article yet. We we, we do need tweaks. I, I want to know where he thinks the where where his favouritism is. To be honest with you. He's going to have preferences between one player and the other player. Well, you know, you know Kelly and, and Dean Smith would have would have had their you know clearly had their favourite players. He might have other ideas. He might have other 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 ideas in how we set up. You know, the way we've seen Thomas Frank is he's only really come onto the bench, and the Allard will speak about this because he sits nearest to the the dugout. <clears throat> but you know, but Frank's normally comes into play visibly where when things aren't going right so maybe he's a better tactician than the other two and we're about to find out and that's what honestly really excites me you know we're not as i said we're not the finished article and we need to kick on we now we find out if we can kick on within what we've already got within our club it's just just interesting, and guys, I want you to come to this as well because I'm, I'm going to talk to Thomas Frank as well. But I still just we just need to sort of leave the Dean Smith and have the old skeleton as well. We talked, I talked about this last week where we made a little call about Dean Smith because beforehand we didn't think he was going to get the job. I think Laney, the only one that said that you felt he would like to get it and they would yeah. interview him, but he wouldn't go for it. And also, like I said to you, the view that I had from Aston Villa was that he asked and he, he, he made it clear to Villa that he wanted a job. But Aston Villa felt that they needed a name brand. And so, I don't know if they said that to him, but that was a view from within Villa. We could, I heard that from a very, very good source from within Villa. Now, all of a sudden, he's got the job. And I said last week on the podcast that I felt that if his agent was very clever, it sounded like that he, he had constructed the situation between him and John Terry to say, John, if you come in with us, mate, you're the, you know, you're the name. And we've got Dean, we come in, we get you a gig and you get some coaching badges. And, you know, that's it. That will happen. And that's what I thought 
his agent, if he was clever, would have done to have got him that gig because I, we thought that probably he wouldn't have got that gig on his own. And we saw there's a newspaper report last week which said that actually Dean Smith spoke to John Terry before the gig was announced, before any of them had got the gig to say, sold it to him in an hour, said, you know, if you come in with me, you know, we form a little team, we go into this and we sell it to Aston Villa and you become part of my team. And John Terry, when that would go through it. So that, that's quite an interesting little move there, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's very strange uh, in a way because I mean, it's probably good that Dean Smith did that because it's the only way he could get the job. It's actually quite strange in the fact that uh, you don't know who is the top dog. The way um, Aston Villa announced it, you would think John Terry got the job. John Terry is the manager. John Terry is the head coach. That's the way they announced it. But also, you, you've got to wonder that if Dean Smith has tripled his wages, he was on 300 grand with us. If he's tripled his wages, he's now on just under a million. So what happens? What happens with him? You know, again, what happens with him, Sav? So, Do you know? Yeah, well, I'm just wondering, is John Terry on more money? So that relationship between between John Terry um, and Dean Smith is, is quite a weird one. And where does Richard O'Kelly fit into that? Is he below John Terry? Is he above John Terry? You know, how does that work? I think it's it's starting off on a very strange footing. And, you know, I don't I don't I don't really hold up much hope for it. You know, I think I think Dean Smith is a good manager, but you know, wh where's it going? It's just starting really strangely. So it, yeah, I mean, I'll, I, Matt, I, I'll, I'll come on to you in just a second, but you're just talking about is John Terry on bigger or smaller money. I think Dean Smith probably doesn't really care about that because he wants to actually kind of make himself a bigger name. When John Terry was at Villa, if I remember rightly, the rumour was that he was on about 80 grand a week. It might have been 60 grand, was 80 grand a week, but that is definitely going to amount to much more than what Dean Smith is going to be ever on, if he was even on probably even half that money. Matt? Uh, yeah, I, I'm still not quite convinced the timelines add up to, to it going that way, because... Um, I think Dean Smith. I did a. I did a sort of. I, I read. I read you did the article, and, and, you I, did, did you? and I thought I'd do a bit of fact checking. And um, <clears throat> Dean Smith said in the article that he spoke to John Terry whilst he was warming up for a pro-am golf event. So I assume you warm up the morning of the event. Um, the more that event should have been last. Uh, what was it? it was what, Wednesday. What, what day was the event again, John, Matt? Um, Wednesday, Wednesday. So that would be Wednesday a.m. And then, and then Dean Smith was announced as Villa manager 10 p.m. Wednesday evening. Um, so that's quite a lot of manoeuvring to have taken place in a few hours, 10 to 15 hours, I suppose. So I, I'm still not convinced that that it was Villa saying you can come, but you take John Terry. Was, um, this, this, this seems to be some sort of forensic analysis, the Allard. Are you? Um, we've been stalking him. <laughs> no, no. I just, um, I just, I just, I, I just sort of, I just in my head, I've got this thing that that, that Villa want John Terry there, and they and they were trying to find somebody that could could work with John Terry. Um, can, can I can I put this on record now that well, we've, said, we've said John we've said John Terry about fifteen times now, and, yeah, 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 and, and yeah, I've yeah. not said I've not said anything yeah. else. Do you, you, can I, can I put that on record? That's fine. Yeah, it's probably That's the fine. most mentioned he's been on the podcast. <laughs> that, 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 that is that is that is definitely in the past. So listen, I mean, you know, like I said to you, we sort of summing it up because we need to move forward as well. Um, what, what was interesting with with um, 
with Dean Smith, I mean, you, Laney mentioned a little bit of disappointment. A few of our, you know, our crew on the on the WhatsApp ring that we've got, and you know, seen on social media as well. What's interesting? There's been like a lot of respect for Dean Smith, and a lot of, you know, wishing him luck as a person, as it is. But there, there also seems to be a slight little bit of disappointment, and also, and like I said to you, you know, we're going to think of starting a new section in uh, in this podcast, maybe from next week, called Frank Talk, where you know, obviously we've got a new manager, Thomas Frank, without an S. We've got a Frank talk where we can have fans <laughs> to come on and actually talk frankly about things. And uh, there's one fan that will go unannounced who said, Dean Smith, I don't want him to, I don't do anything. I hope he fails miserably. And then there's all sort of a little domino effect goes, so do I, so do I, so do I. So does this all of a sudden feel that Dean Smith has, has let us down? He hasn't seen the project through like he saw he will. And, you know, as far as he's going, Dean Smith is, is all over. I think the um, the Frank the Frank talking is um is the, to to introduce a new section to the podcast. It you, you can't just do it like that. You, you, it has to go through procedures where it gets voted through committees. You know you know you know us. So so for next week we're really pushing the boundaries now. But we need a we need a theme. We need lots of stuff in place before we can have a new section to the podcast. So I think we can probably get it in place for next week. Um, and we, I, I, I agree that it's a little bit. Um, I feel a little bit cheated by by Dean Smith because he. It was perceived that he. It was that he got a phone call from Aston Villa and it was a job that he couldn't refuse and no one would begrudge him, the, you know, the opportunity to serve, you know, to manage the the, the team of his, you know, his boyhood club and the, where his dad was a peanut seller or whatever it was and um, you know and now it seems that he's kind of he's colluded in a um, you know to, to get John Terry who is not the best kind of human to, to kind of you know to be his number two which isn't a number two it's number three and you know John Terry's going to basically do his coaching badges on Aston Villa's employment. He could have done that on Burton Town's employment. You know, it, 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 you know, it, it doesn't, it didn't need to be at Aston Villa. John Terry is going to be nothing to do with Aston Villa apart from he's going to be his coaching badges there. And but it seems to be that it's already his job. And you know, he's really made his bed there, Dean Smith. He's jumped into bed with the devil. To be honest with you. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything about John Terry because you know he's got a lot more money than me and he will sue my ass off. But you know, you careful what you wish for, careful what you do. Um, if you've got a job just because of someone else, it's a little bit tainted, I would say. And um, I don't, I don't you know, know, I think John Terry, he's gonna be the, he's the ter- he's the, the dressing room man. He played with all these players. He's the person that can talk to them. He can be reasonable with them. You know, you say, listen, listen, calm down, calm yourself down, boys, or you need to listen. You know, I'm, they respected him when he was there, from what I can understand. And it's almost like Dean Smith's got somebody who can go in there and just kind of do a better job with him on the players, especially, you know, we've got this situation where, you know, the egos, a lot of these players on 80, 90, you know, Scott, Scott Hogan's on 62 grand a week, and he's not even the oh. highest paid player. You know, so you've got some of these players on these big players and big egos. And not saying Dean can't speak because he's a very good man manager, but he's got this extra cushion in John Terry to be able to go in there, go, 
just calm it down, mate, you know, because he, he wants them to win as much as they will do. So I actually think it's probably quite a good situation for him. Yeah, possibly, possibly. But, you know, I just, I just think that, you know, you're going to be looking over your shoulder the whole time. You know, you, you're, you're clearly paving the way for John Terry to be the next manager. And if he's not the next manager there, he's got no loyalty. He, he'll, go, he'll go somewhere else. So, I, I don't know. It, it, it seems a very odd situation, the Allard. I, yeah, I was, in, I was intrigued to hear you say that John Terry, um, you know, could have gone to Burton Town to do this. Because not Albion, only would he have had to drop... Don't start getting pedantic with me oh, as well. Oh, I was going to say, not only would he have had to drop down the league, he'd have had to have, dropped, he'd have, to have gone back in time to do that. But, but fair enough. Uh, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought better of you. Uh, <laughs> it's not Pedant's, yeah, pedant's yeah, Corner yeah. again, is it? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they, 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 <laughs> they finished just before the Second World War. But, uh, you know... <laughs> But, but we but we get your point, and um, and and I think coming back to the point of you know should we how do we feel about Dean Smith? Um, we said it. I said it last week on the podcast. He's competing against us. Um, I from this moment on, I hope they don't win many games. Um, it's nothing personal against Dean Smith, but but ultimately Villa are our competitors in this league, and um, and I don't really want to see any teams win. I know some have to, but I don't want to see teams win games. So. Yeah, unfortunately, that's um, that, that's where we are. I, I, will, I won't be booing him, but, but I don't wish him any success at Villa. Our new, our new um, manager is Thomas Frank. As I said, Thomas Frank has come in. Thomas Frank was Brumby manager for a couple of years, and he did pretty well with them. I think the first season that he managed them, they reached fourth in the Danish Superliga. Uh, the following season, they finished third I think it was in the Danish Super League or maybe it was second second or third but still you know still very good both the years he was with them they were in the Europa Cup as well so he's managed at Europa Cup level he managed players with lots and lots and lots of lots of experience very good players interestingly he also managed the the the, the, the Danish I think it's under 17s and he brought players like Ericsson through now plays for Tottenham and when we played Tottenham recently at the beginning of the season um, Ericsson, you know, went up to Thomas Frank and he chat with him and they had a good old get together apparently because he was very, very happy because he said that this is the man who helped to make my career. So there's a lot of respect, it seems to me, for Thomas Frank. Um, from, from the research that we did before, we heard that he was very, very good with the younger players. So with the under-17s, I think under the under-90s at Denmark, the players that have come through and are in the team now, he worked with a lot of them and they really, really liked him. There seemed to be, and again, this is not 100% gospel, this is kind of rumours from coming out of Denmark. Our sources are tomatoes in Denmark. You know, that when he had to deal with the big players, the big names, some of them, you know, you get this situation maybe when Thomas Frank says, you know, not be funny, you're not being good enough or you need to be benched or whatever, and they're all kicking off thinking, you know, who the hell are you? You know, it's a typical situation that, again, we said Dean Smith might get when he's at Aston Villa. Um, but he's not necessarily going to get that. So Thomas Frank is now head coach at Brentford. And I just want to give you an interesting fact, mainly nothing, but we always got to pick facts out of the sky. In Dean Smith's 46 league games, league games in charge before Thomas Frank arrived, we picked up 62 points at an average of 1.35 points per game. In Dean Smith's 85 league games in charge since Thomas Frank arrived, we picked up 129 points from 85 games at an average of 1.52 points per game. 
So oh, that's, that's some 74%. 74% <laughs> rise immediately, you know what I'm saying? It's just got to come straight to us. You knew it was going to be like that at all. So this may mean nothing, but this may mean that you know, he was learning, but this is just something that we're going to throw into the pot. Do you think, you guys out there, this has got any relevance whatsoever? No. Yes. Yes, I, I do. I do. I think, I think he's... Um, a, a, a really mature head. I think he's probably a very tactically um, uh, fluent uh, football genius. I, 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 I don't think there's any coincidence that he's been hired, and I don't think there's any coincidence that he's come from what is a very pr um, high-profile job in Denmark, in Europe, and he's come to be a number two or a number three at Brentford Football Club. I think Rasmus Ankersen's has a say in this. I think um, Benham's ownership of FC Midtjylland has had a, an, a, an effect on this. I think he can see the bigger picture. For him to bring his family over and for him to sit patiently waiting in the sidelines, I'm not saying I know him well enough at all. I don't know him at all. You know, to, he's, he's obviously been biting his tongue but he's had an influence on match day. So he's been given that kudos where he can come off the bench and he can stand next to Dean Smith and give him advice. So he's got confidence there. We, need, we now need to see whether the players themselves have got their trust in him. And, you know, I don't know that dynamic on the training ground. That, that's, that's quite unique to be able to sort of... To, to be able to dictate what people think of you. But I honestly, you know... It, it's a, it's an opportunity for him now to prove himself, and I think that's why he came to England in the first place. Yeah, I I, I don't think it's um, I don't I don't think we know that he's he's the person that has made that improvement from Dean Smith's first year to the next two, because the squad has got better over that time. Um, we've we've got more use of the championship. Lots of other things have been put in place to make that happen. Um, but we can assume that he's one of them because he hasn't made us worse. So we can assume that he's he's been part of that increase in getting us better. Uh, his win ratio at Bondby, Bondby was very good. It was 45%, which I think is better than pretty much any manager we've had. So I think it's I've, I think it's I've, the right other decision. Other than Mark Warburton and a couple of others. Right. Okay. Um, I think uh, it's the right decision. We've made the right decision. But Dean Smith and Richard O'Kelly going is two thirds of our management team. And that means quite a lot of disruption. So I think it's it's not it's not you know it's not ideal that it's happened part way through the season. But I think what we've got now is an opportunity, got an opportunity to step up. And hopefully Thomas Frank is the person to do it. And you know the the uh, the Doffs have got faith in him. The uh, the owners got faith in him. So we've got to assume it's the right decision to put him in place. And, uh, yeah, I, th I think it's a great opportunity to take that little step further that we need to get into the playoffs and, and move on. The Allard is interesting here because we're talking about the fact that he may or may not have been involved in Brentford stepping up. Um, one thing which is quite interesting because the views from Aston Villa changed from, ah, oh, this is brilliant, to, oh, no, have we got the right man? Um, I mean, it's interesting, a lot of Villa fans were going, yeah, we're going to take all of Brentford's back team. And then, you know, they took Richard O'Kelly. They're like, oh, yeah, look at us. We'll take Richard O'Kelly. We'll take anyone we want, you know. And then all of a sudden, Thomas Frank was, you know, the favourite. And they're like going, why didn't we take Thomas Frank? 
and you know, then obviously become our manager. And then obviously they realised that they didn't take Thomas Frank because Thomas Frank was basically part of Brentford as a part of you know part of the Dean Smith scenario. And then people start saying that Thomas Frank was instrumental in the way that we play. And then I've noticed a lot of fear from the Villa fans going, "Oh no, we, we got the wrong person," like, you know. Do you think that Thomas uh, the 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 Allard has been this instrumental, changing us from a 1.35 points per game to 1.52 points per game, and also looking forward as to where we're going to go? Because if you look at what he said when he did the old you know, boast, he says, "I was very instrumental in putting the tactics, put the strategy behind Brentford." This is me. You know, he's actually done the real flag in the sand. What do you reckon? I suspect he's had an influence. Um, I, it is difficult because it's been quite a period that, um, that, you know, and I don't remember it changing suddenly or anything like that. I do, I do think that we are possibly a little bit more, um, a little bit more attack minded maybe now. Um, I think we have more, I think we really are very reliant on pace out wide. I, I, I remember a period under Smith where a couple of things that we didn't play much pace out wide and we struggled. And I also remember when we stopped using the whip for the pitch. And that might have been when we were going for a leading run. So, so what we, just say that again, Alan, what we going there through? There was a point. There what, was a, what were we going through? What, what period? We were, um, I think it was during Smith's first... It was during Smith's first year. Um, we went for a period where we weren't as expansive as we are now. Um, um, I, from, from my recollection, um, we were, you know, we were kicking the ball into channels rather than so for goal kicks we were lining up and getting the players to move across um, to one side of the pitch, which I hadn't seen at Brentford for a long time. I really remember it. Um, it was a Birmingham away game or something like that. Anyway, um, so I, I, you know, but. But that might have just been Smith doing his thing, and maybe there was a period where they didn't they were too scared of losing games, or it might be that that Frank is a bit more, you know, Thomas, Thomas Frank's, you know, got a bit more, um, it's a bit more attack minded. But I, I, it's difficult to say. I, you'll see some things probably at the weekend that he'll change that will be subtle. That will be subtle. I remember the, the, the one I remember is when Rosler went and Warburton took over. And Rosler would never hold any players up for corners. Warburton, I think the first corner we defended, held three up, maybe two, two or three. And he regularly held three up of our players as we defended a corner. And immediately you could see that was a different emphasis and something completely different. Of course, we're back, at, we're back now where we, where we bring all the players back to defend corners. Not suggesting that Frank is going to push three up, but you may see something subtle. That sort of thing is where you may see it. You won't see it with a lineup. We're not going to suddenly start playing three at the back on, um, you know, on Saturday or go to four four two. That's not going to happen. It will be the same basic um, shape, but there may be some subtle differences. So, so we're saying we're saying evolution rather than revolution here. It's going to be, you know, we, we'll find out where his favourite players are, where his relationships are, yeah. better, maybe with one or two other players compared to. I, I'll give you another example this season is that is that in terms of the midfield he's um, essentially gone with either Makocho and Yanaris or McLeod and McCrackran um, and, and they're the two combinations he's used there has he's, Smith has used there's been a few times it's mixed but not much 
And there's just kind of two ways we played. If we play McEachern and um, McLeod, we, we, it's more about possession and keeping the ball. And if we play Makocha and Yanaris, it's more about a high press against teams like um, Leeds that we saw at the weekend and the second half against Villa where we flipped it that way as well. So, But what you might find is that he... That, that, and that might be Frank's... That might be Thomas Frank's thoughts and theory, or it might be that he starts mixing it a bit more in midfield. You know, they're, they're the sort of things that we'll, we'll probably... That we'll see and... And um, but it won't be anything. It's not going to be anything massive. I don't think we're going to. Yeah, we're not going to change anything massive. We're not going to start playing with two up front for all those that are still want to see two up front. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> and the, and the and the quote from Thomas Frank is, you know, he said, "The big advantage is I know everything here. I've bought into this culture, this style of play. I will continue working this way with this philosophy. When you are in charge, you change small details, but not." massive things so that's again you know it's going to what you said is that he's going to come in he's going to tweak a few little things but in the end Brentford kind of do things in a particular way and it's been going relatively well for us and he may have his ideas so he might tweak a few things here or there it'll be interesting to see who is uh you know whose favorite players are because I think one thing that he said to me is that you know as a head coach you pick the team so he'd be saying that you know even though he might have put his input before he wasn't the person that actually picked the team it was Dean Smith and it'd be interesting to see whether or not, say, for example, Blackburn away, he would have chosen a different team, or Aston Villa, where in the first 70 minutes we were, we were rubbish, you know what I'm saying? We were terrible. And whether or not he would be like, actually, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have picked that team in the first 70 minutes. I would have gone for this. Um, I mean, you never know. Yeah, yeah or, or that might have been his influence to, to go that way in those two games. Who knows? I mean, but I think, I think, you're, I think probably in five games' time, you'll be able to more or less say who made those decisions, whether he was involved in them or whether they were things he was less involved with. Because you'll either see a repeat of those patterns or you'll see something a little bit different. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because we're, we're actually going to find out some sort of evolution into how things have panned out over the last sort of like two months, really. You know, whether Dean Smith was distracted. You know, we, we'll see if the players were kind of um, had their eye off the ball at Leeds. I, I don't think they were. They, they seem to be really focused. Um, but the, the, the two home games in particular, the last the last couple of draws, I thought you know there was something there was something not quite right about Brentford. The last three, four, five, six games, we, we've not been as we were the first the first few. So you know whether it was the fact that Dean Smith was kind of had his eye elsewhere, I, I, I'm not I'm not quite so sure. So you know Frank has got a he's actually got a big job now. He needs to get focused. Um, the other, the other, I, th I think you know what left back will be interesting because I think it's fair to say there is there still remains not an obvious left back at the club um, that's fit, and um, and it'd be interesting to see where Frank goes with that. That will tell you a little bit about him. Not um, remains, so, not you're not talking about remains Sawyer's. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. The it's um, interesting. You talk about left back. And like I, like I said to you, I was, I was literally just watching back this Leeds game. And like I said to you, I've not watched it in total, but I just wanted to yeah. sit back with my feet up and watch yeah. it. And um, I mean, I know he's not a left back as such, but, but obviously they've put Odebarju in that game, who probably is still not 100% fit, hasn't played lots of games, but he's put him in against um, Barbe. He said, listen, I'm going to play you against Leeds, who's yeah. basically the best team, yeah. you know, one of the best teams in this league. Yeah. Didn't you think that was quite interesting? Yeah. I, th I think it was probably because they were worried that Leeds were going to play um, with pace, which in, which in effect they do. 
um, and he just felt that Odebarge had a bit more pace than Barbe. If we'd have been playing, um, uh, for example, Cardiff last season, he wouldn't have been playing Odebarge there. He would have stuck. You know, because it's just the way different teams play. Yeah, not, not a team, if a team were going to play long diagonal ball, high balls, it's going to keep Barbe there. What about Joe's in there? Because I think Leeds play quick, um, attacking football. They hit you fast, and Odebarge obviously gives you more pace than um, than Barbe does. Albeit not that much more. Barbe's not the slowest, but so and, and again, you'll see we'll, we'll see stuff. So I think uh, over a, we did see sort of players being picked for games. Frank may be be part of that philosophy or he may have a different philosophy and just play the strongest team every week and um, and I, I think we'd started drifting towards players being picked for, for particular games and scenarios and, and again that's something that we'll, we'll, we'll see but who he picks at left back will be interesting it's a, it's a lovely problem isn't it you know, we've, we've, yeah. actually got, we've actually got a squad now that is just so strong or potentially so strong that you know it's down to interpretation now where where certain certain um, visionary coaches can kind of like, put one team out versus another team out, playing pretty much in the same system, and uh, you know it's expansive counter-attacking uh, style of play that we do so well. And you know I, I I just don't think that any Brentford fan is going to be disappointed for the rest of the season, whether it ends up in a playoff place, a promotion place, who knows? But I don't, I don't think there's going to, the desire for playing a, attractive, expansive football is going to change. The appetite for that is is still pretty yeah. pretty much there. I, I, I feel that. I, I'd be surprised if we go back into our shell and start being less expansive. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if that was the case. I mean, I mean, we're not going to be... Again, I mean, again, from what Thomas Frank said in his statement, uh, we're not going to be that at all. We're going to be exactly the same with a few tweaks. Um, but talking about a few tweaks, obviously there's two things. We've, we've talked about this a little bit. The fear is obviously players in your team, you don't want players to leave. There, there is a possibility that Aston Villa, and we talked about this before, might take some players. I know some people are saying they've got no money, but obviously they've got enough money to pay their manager three times as much as we can pay him or head coach. So, you know, they've got some money in the coffers. They've got a very rich um, owner. you know, Plus, who, plus, com plus compensation. You know, com yeah, compensation and all that. But they've got very, you know, very rich owner yeah. who might be very willing to take a risk over the next couple of years until FFP hits again, and then they'll have to rein it back. So th there is a there is a very big possibility that Dean Smith might come and, and raid Brentford, even though there's an article saying, oh no, he's not going to go back to Brentford. But you know, he said he wasn't going to go to Villa. So you you just got to treat that all with a pinch of salt. So there's a fear that we might lose a player or two or three to Villa or anybody else. And also, the interesting thing is that um, Brentford have said, and we've always said this anyway, if we're in the top six, if we're doing very well this season, top six, maybe it's top eight, you know, something like that, there's going to be money for Thomas Frank to spend in, in, in January, or it's going to be top money for Brentford to spend. Obviously, Thomas Frank will be involved in the process but for us to spend, which means that we could be bringing some players in. So we could actually be losing some players as well, couldn't we? And also, we could be gaining some. Any it's, any quick thoughts? Yeah, I think um, Romain Soyes is the clear favourite for the for the next player out of Griffin Park. I think uh, Dean Smith uh, knows him inside out, upside down, back to front, and you know he's a Midlands boy. 
and he's clearly going to be near near the top, if not at the very top, of uh, Dean Smith's January shopping list. I think Ryan Woods will be kicking himself. I think he yeah. would have been up there too, um, without any shadow of a doubt. I think people like Dan Bentley, um, they may get a move. Um, I think he's, although he's made a lot of mistakes this season, I think um, Dean Smith's seen a, enough about him to, to know that he's, he's won for, if not England, but he's won for you know a very long career at the top level. Uh, Rico Henry probably is another one that Dean's looking at, not sure. but he's not he's not fit. No, he's not fit enough, and he's, he's you know he's done nothing at Brentford at all so far to to, to, to suggest he's going to go anywhere. But um, you know, what you, about Barbe? Yeah, Barbe, Morpé, you know, all, all the Frenches. They're, well, you know, they're, but they're, more, they're gonna... more pay probably less so because they're you know not be funny they're they're not going to have 15 million or 18 million or whatever it's going to be to take him away from us because he's not going to go for anything less than 10, 12, 14 million. It's just not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? I thought you were doing your times tables there, Bill. Yeah, that's right. So it's not going to happen. But Barbe is a different scenario because he's in and out of the team. He wants to be a centre back, but he's playing left back. They've got problems at centre back at Aston Villa. Is Barbe kind of one of the sort of you said? Sort of as top of the pile, but is it maybe Mark Barbe? You know, you get you get a good wedge there. He, Dean Smith knows him. He he's versatile. He's a good he's a good player. He's better than what they got. Yeah, love her. Um, I yeah, possible. Um, I mean anything's possible, isn't it? I mean, I suppose yeah, players that are running out of contract, they're going to be be cheaper. They're going to be more affordable to Villa. I think it's Villa's third year in the in the championship, so does FSP start rearing its head this year? I don't although I don't hold much faith in in people in teams being held to account on that. Um you know, so I think um I think Villa have got a very good squad as as it stands. And I think they've got some I mean, I can't see Remain Sawyer's going there unless they've got a buyer for, for Grealish, because it's pretty much the same position, isn't it? So I would have thought, you know, if they can get 40 million or whatever silly money they can get for Grealish, then they might come in for Romain Sawyers to replace him. Um, and obviously that will help them with their FFP. Um, but as for the others, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I think Villa will be looking at, uh, at sort of bigger and better players. You know, if they're looking at our players, I think they'll be looking at the cream of our players, not the centre-half being played out of position. I honestly think that um, Dean Smith has used Grealish as his absolute trump card. There, he, he's gone there. To, he's gone there and said, "We will base all, basically, all our attacking play through Grealish. We're going to unleash him. You've just signed him for a new contract. He's ours for the next three, five years, or whatever. We're, we're going to make him instead of a 20 million player, we'll either make him a 40 or 50 million player, or Grealish will be central to us." as in us, Villa, getting back to the Premiership because, you know, we've, we've, we've got rid of all this Steve Bruce kind of dinosaur football. We're going to play this expansive way, the Brentford way. It's just it's whether or not Dean Smith can survive without the Brentford um, backstaff. And, you know, we've seen it so many times. We've seen it, we saw it with Rosler. We've seen it with Warbs. We've seen it. We 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 have seen it before, you know. You know, I, I'm I'm really intrigued to know how much of that um, knowledge that the 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 DOFs and the owner share with the manager, 
because they know that it's always going to go. Um, and how much information do you want him to take with him? So um, I, I'm sure that there's cloak and dagger behind the scenes. Now, it wouldn't surprise me, if I'm honest with you, just because you know that the head coach is always going to go at some stage, whoever it is. How much of that, how much of that real critical information do you entrust that person who's going to go to another club to take? And, I, I, and I'm, not sure it's, I'm not sure it's much, if I'm honest with you. No, because, I... You know, you know, the two DOFs are kind of, they're not, they, they are Brentford employees, but they're not, they're, they're smart odds and they're, or they're, you know, they're, they're, they're one step removed almost. So they're Benham loyal rather than Brentford loyal. They're never going to go. So I, I, I just don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. You know, I, I agree with you. I don't think they actually have to give uh, the management team that much information. What they do is they just come up with a, a, a group of players and uh, say to go and have a look at them. And it might be that you know Dean Smith has uh, knows the next couple of players that we're after, but uh, no, no, no more than that, I wouldn't have thought. No, it's, it's just really interesting to know because you know um, coming forward as a club or as any club, you know that your head coach or your manager, however you want to define that role, they're they're there for a defined period of time. You know, it's either form or um, success dictates how long they stay there. If they're awful, they get sacked. If they're really successful, they get they get poached. Apart from one or two clubs, obviously like you, Liverpool's, your Man United, your Man City's, they are they are just there on um, success. If you, if you don't if you don't win the champ if you don't win the Champions League and the Premier League, then you're out of a job in those jobs and Chelsea. Um, and then, but for the rest of us, it's it's a it's a kind of it's it's a it's a finite amount of time you get within your your role, and um, and and Dean Smith was absolutely I thought I thought he had a job for life. I'm honest with you because I know that the the, the DOFs and the owner they really respected him, and I think the players respected him massively too. So he's risked pretty much everything to jump into bed with uh, John Terry and 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 and, and, uh, and uh, no don't smirk there's, there's no there's no there's no there's no John Terry's mum going to be said here that's but in the past it's, it's in the past um, you know so so you know he's put all, you know for want of a better term eggs in one basket you 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 do that at your peril you know he had you know Brentford's new stadium We've got, um, you know, the best squad we've had since the war, undoubtedly. We've got the most backed and the, the best kind of financed infrastructure. We've got so many positives, and you risk that for this kind of roulette wheel of Aston Villa. It really is scary for me. But, but he's, he's done it because it might come off. I mean, if it comes off, he's he's made. But even if he just gets kicked out in a year's time, he'll get another job. He'll get another job. He'll yeah. definitely get another job. I mean, Rossler's had two or three after us. Yeah, but Warbs hasn't. Yeah, well, two. Really, two had after us. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah and, two after and us. And the reasons why it hasn't happened again are for for different reasons. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So, but anyway, we should move on from that. I just sort of think, you know, Thomas Frank, he's in. He's our man. He's doing all good. Obviously, Thomas Frank has moved up from assistant manager. So um, at the mo moment we've got last uh, last Reese is uh, assistant for now, um, but 
we're going to be looking at getting some assistance in, Bill, or an assistant, gonna, or maybe a couple of assistants. Are we yeah. going to call it? Are we, we going to call it Talking Franks or Frank's Diaries? Well, I thought, I thought it was Talking Frank, more less. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But we can we could discuss that in the, in the committee meeting, you know. But we're going to get a couple of assistants in, maybe one, maybe two. Um, is there any, are there any thoughts on somebody who could be an assistant? I mean, there have been names that are flying well, around. Um, well, isn't isn't the obvious one uh, Kev O'Connor? Because I think I think what what I liked about this, the the what's happened now is that we had three coaches in the team, and two left, and that's left one that you can just push up. So if we we try to follow that model in the future. I think Kev O'Connor's an ideal person to get in there, give him two or three years or however long he needs as uh, assistant to the deputy or whatever it's, the title's going to be. And, uh, and then, you know, he can be the new Thomas Frank in, when, when the time comes. Can I, uh, it's, can a mod, I be, it's a model that's worked. Can I be devil's advocate on this one? You, you can be um, frank. I'll be frank. I, I will be, I'll be brutally frank. <laughs> a brutal, brutally frank is quite a good one. Um, uh, the minute... That Kev O'Connor becomes first team radar. So he's either the assistant or the assistant to the assistant, or he's the first team coach. Is he's pushing his way closer to the day he leaves Brentford Football Club? Because where he is at the moment, he's got a great job and he's perfectly suited to that job. Of course, everyone's got ambition. However, the minute you start getting ambition to the top job, there's a finite amount of time for that. You're either, again, headhunted or sacked. And if, you, if, you, if he gets promoted to the first-team job, Kev O'Connor, which I, I love him to get and be a success at it, if he wasn't a success at it, he would be sacked. Then he would be out of Brentford. And that is... a I've seen that in my in my in my experience in football. I've seen it happen to a couple of really good people where they've been job for lifers, but they've kind of gone for the big job because, of course, you would. You know, it's there, dangling carrot right in front of your nose. Who wouldn't want to? Who wouldn't want that job? But the bar. But if I'm going to say to you, but the word on the street, and like I said to you, we said this before, is that Kevin Connor was meant to be assistant to Mariner Starkhausen two years or three years ago, was it? Two or three years ago? Three years ago. Three. So, I mean, that's quite a long time ago. So, there's obviously been a plan in place. Kev's going to move in, probably to help Dyke Eisen with the transition, to talk to the players. He was like the players' man. He, you know, he, 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 he was in the Brentford dressing room. So, that was three years ago. Interestingly, he's moved into the B team due to various different reasons. Carsley left and all this kind of stuff. Kev stepped into that and it's actually been a really good learning curve for him where he's actually learned on the job as being the head of the B team. Now, interesting you're sort of saying, you know, as soon as he moves into this job, it's close to him leaving. But it's almost like, yeah, but also on the flip side of it, do people not have ambition? Does he not have ambition to do this? Should he be held back just because he's been a Brentford hero and he's been there since 1990, or he's been there since the youth team at Brentford? So does he not get a job because we just don't want him to leave at some stage? At the end of the day, you know, Dean Smith, as you said, he could have had a job for life because they felt he was doing the right thing and he stuck with it, but he decided not to make a move. You know, if, if, if Kevin Connor was to move into this job, surely they would say we think you're good enough for it. They're not just going to do it just because for any old reason, you know, and if just the same way they thought Dean Smith 
was good enough for that job. And he sat there and he did what they needed to do. And okay, some people might say we should have gone to the next level. He's made this mistake. You know, those subs weren't right. Okay, fair enough. But overall, he's good. Surely it's going to be the same thing with Kev O'Connor. Yeah, possibly. You know, it's it's one of those careful what you wish for moments, isn't it? It's it's like if it if it works out right, then then all then brilliant. You know, but there is no magic wand. There's no there's no kind of like magic crystal. There's no there's you just don't know how things will work out. No, you but don't. What you do, what, but what you do know is, if it doesn't work out, you, you, you're out. And, no, and, but, and that is... But the thing and, is, but and, what I'm going to say, but it's almost like you're getting really emotional because it's Kevin O'Connor and he's here. Okay, no, if, Kevin, if, if Kevin O'Connor never got that job and somebody else from outside got that job, there's an argument to say the reason why that person is in that position because at some place in some team, they made a move. Maybe... It was too early for them, but they made the move and people had noticed who they are and they're there in that position. And I think somebody will turn around and say, how come he's, he's in that job? Technically, I'm as good as him, you know, but, oh, he's allowed to get the job because he's from outside. And it, 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 I'm saying it kind of doesn't really make sense. If you're, if you're good enough, you're good enough. And if it works out, it does. And if it doesn't, that's just the way it goes, isn't it? I think, yeah, and, and I, I think you're both right. You know, Billy's sort of being dispassionate and he's right. But Dave's right as well because, and, and actually, it's not even about whether he's a success or not, because ultimately, at some point, if you put yourself in that position, unless you're going to move on to another club, in which case probably everyone, everyone will upset him, um, everyone will be upset with him because he's moved on to another club because he's a brilliant coach, or at some point he's going to get. It's going to get sacked. You say? And I've said it before. Unfortunately, it doesn't end. It doesn't end well, does it? You know. It, it ultimately potentially doesn't end well um, once he moves into that position. Uh, there isn't really a scenario where it does end well, apart from well, he gets the England job. That might well, he, end well. He might, he might be our manager for 20 years. You don't yeah. know. You know Arsene Wenger. Retired, like Fergie. Yeah. It's, it's unlikely. That's fair. There you go. You, know. you just never know. Yeah. Man. You, can, you I mean, and, know. Dean Smith could have had a job for life, late, Dave. Yeah. Huh? So Dean Smith could have had a job for life. He could have done, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, no, no, he would have run out of steam at some point. He'd start be doing the same things over and over again, making the same mistakes. People don't last, you know. You, you get stale in any job. When I, when I say job for life, I don't mean a job until they actually die. You know? <laughs> it's, not, it's not like you know, I think you're being a little bit kind of absolutely like fatalistic about. No, it. I, I think he had two more years in him. He's going to die on the Jersey Road training ground. I mean, I mean, it was like a, a job for the next, for the foreseeable future. You pedants, you're all pedants. Right, pedants all here. But listen, we should move. Peasant. Listen, we've got lots of other things we peasant. want to discuss. Believe it or not, I mean, we've got a new head coach, Ben Manager. We've got jobs for life. We've got Kev O'Connor. We've got I mean, other people that might come. I want to say as well, it's interesting. They talked about Chris Powell going for the job. Now, whether or not he, he did or, or didn't go for the job, we don't know, but we saw it as in the newspaper. And we're just wondering if some of these people who went for the, 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 the head coach job, which have obviously been a number of applications, are now willing to go for an, an assistant manager's role. And uh, that person, would, I think, would have to be a person who's good with the players. It's interesting as well. I mean, do you, do you think, and I'm just using it as an example because he was in the newspaper, Chris Powell, do you think he would be a good assistant manager at Brentford? I think he was uh, an obvious candidate. I think he's uh, a well-respected, um, he's a lovely guy. Uh, I think he'd be good for Brentford Football Club. I, I think he'd, I think he really would. You know, 
I, I'm up for Marcus Gale as well. I, th I think Marcus Gale is someone that should be considered um, for, for a, a, a coaching role at Brentford Football Club. Someone who's really done it, been there, uh, played at the highest level, played in World Cups, play, played in the Premier League, um, played in the Scottish Premier League. He's played in massive games. He's played in rubbish games, but he knows he knows what it takes to get to, to fight your way through and get to the very top. He's a Brentford man too. I think Marcus Gale is someone that we should um, really carefully consider in 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 inputting in, in, in into the the hierarchy or in, into the into the at least into the sort of like setup of Brentford Football Club. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit. I'm a bit concerned that the we we look outside sometimes. You know, some. So, so of course, you need to be able to cherry pick from the best of the UK or Europe. But sometimes there's people that are very close to home who can do a great job too. I think. Right. I think it's all about actually taking that emotion out of it and finding the best person and the best fit for the job, and not employing people because they're. Um, because they used to play for the club, um, but also not ignoring people for the job because they used to play for the club. It's just it's about finding the best fit and and doing it dispassionately. Is that the right word? Um, yes. And dispassionate. Sometimes you need to be a bit more passionate than dispassionate. Yeah, but you do you do when it comes to once you're actually trying to make players and you're involved, but in terms of actually recruitment, um, I think you need to make the right decisions and, 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 and do that dispassionately. Sorry, can I, make, can I make a quick observation? Yeah. I've, I've noticed that you've moved to your bed. I'm trying to find the best signal. I was struggling for signal. Um, Sav's, Sav's moved. Um, mm -hmm. To get, get a good signal, there's a lot we go through to get these red cards. <laughs> <laughs> and, now, and now I'm sitting in a rather uncomfortable position doing it. <laughs> can, can listen, anyway, say, listen, we've sorry, talked a lot I about new head coach. Oh, Savvy Boy, Savvy Boy. Yeah, sorry, can I just say about ex players? Uh, I think if you're going to have an ex player move into the coaching team, I would go for Kev ahead of uh, Marcus Gale. Um, although, if Marcus Gale's got, got the the wherewithal and the, the skills to do it, then I'd happily consider him. But we mustn't forget the ex-player that I think has got a lot of experience out there and could do a really good job for us, and that's Ian Holloway. <laughs> yeah, right, OK. Yeah, we've, we've put him to the list and, and, and well, moved him a couple of steps up from 99 to 97. But anyway, listen, we've been chatting a lot about the head coach because it's very important. And he's got a game coming up on Saturday. We're going to talk about that game in a minute. But we've just got a few things to discuss in and around the Football League. The Championship, as we say. around the league you know we're looking forward to the game on Saturday so much there's a few of these issues that we probably thought we might touch on quickly and come back to a little bit later there's a, a few things I mean first of all the Leeds fans they've just given us so much we say pleasure 
initially we thought it was just us, but then we found out Leeds are like that with everybody, and they do moan, and they moan quite a lot. I was actually even with a Leeds fan in Spain for the England game as well. It's quite funny, and uh, you know, Phil, it's quite interesting. We try not to discuss things, and it wasn't until four o'clock in the morning when all of a sudden he mentioned the penalty, or I mentioned the penalty, and oh my God, it, it just was a tirade, and he just went off on one, like you know what I'm saying, about they've not had a penalty for about 75 years, and the football league's corrupt, and all this kind of stuff, you know what I'm saying? So it's not just you know one Leeds fan, they're all exactly the same, where they, they do believe the world is against them. And also, I started to watch that Leeds game, as you keep going about, which makes me laugh, because you see decisions, and you would have seen this, guys, if you saw it on TV, Anytime there was a foul, and you say a foul, go, oh, that's a foul to us, boom, and the Leeds fans would go and erupt, and then the referee would give it to us, and then they just they'd go mental. And you think, I'm not being funny, but you, sometimes you know when it is on the other side, but there's definitely a case where they believe that if they shout at Leeds, the referee has to give it. So, like I said to you, it's given us much pleasure. We'll probably talk about that much more in the last few weeks, but also the Leeds boss who wants to basically dump us and smaller teams and form a Premier League 2 because he feels that too much money is filtering down to the lower leagues. I mean, guys, that's, uh, we'll talk about this again in the next couple of weeks, but we just thought we'd bring it up because it's quite topical now. But this attitude, do you think it's a little bit scary? Uh, it is a bit scary because Leeds are a big club. However, it's um, hilarious equally because they aren't in the Premiership for one clear clear and obvious reason is that they got relegated and they weren't good enough to be in it so um, it, the fact that we've finished above them for the, for the last few years is is just uh, you know an absolutely uh, obvious and factual uh, take on the, the, the situation we are a better club than Leeds United so if anyone's going to be in the Premiership too it's probably going to be us, and it probably will be Leeds United as well. So you can't you can't sort of disparage us that we're not fit for the championship when you finish above them. You know, it, it, it's the the whole football league is based on your ability to play football. You know, the, the, the you know it, it just is. You know, yeah. the, the, wor the worst team in the division in in League Two is the worst team in the league, and the top. Man City or whoever top of the Prem are the best, and 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 that there is your barometer. You, you you're right because that is the way it currently works. But I suspect if you really got to the bottom of what he was saying, that that wasn't what that wasn't his argument. His no, argument but his, ar his argument that the forty teams with the most biggest income should be the teams in the top two leagues. Yeah. Um, but he might not have said that, but that's ultimately what he means. In effect, no. He, um, as you but, said. But, but in, in, in effect, you're right. I mean, financially, you know, I know we, we you know, we support a small club, and um, um, but financially, if, if that happened, we'd be better off. Um, it doesn't mean I support it. So what, what he was saying is that basically, with the money that comes in from TV, we're still struggling to pay our wages and all this kind of stuff, and we don't see why that money should go to teams like Portsmouth and Shrewsbury and Accrington Stanley yeah. and Fildal. He's saying we should just keep it all ourselves. Now, the argument about that is, uh, well, actually, maybe you should, A, stop sacking loads of managers, B, actually start paying people, you know, doing a proper scouting so you're not paying players big, big money because you're still finishing in 10th and 12th and 8th and teams are finishing above you who have got less, you know, less budget. So there are b bigger arguments out there about how your club is run as opposed to you going around because, you know, and, and, and bemoaning that money it's coming in is being filtered down to other clubs. 
and uh, I, I'm sure that they won't take that too well. But that's what really bugs me about this, where football clubs and football chairmen keep going on, boo-hoo, boo-hoo, all this money, oh, we can't compete. And it's just like, well, most of you can't compete because you're running your businesses really badly. If you reel it in a little bit, run your business a little bit better, then you can actually look at everybody, look at the fans, look at all the other parts of football. But at the moment now, you believe that every single punny that goes in has to go out to make a better squad. But you're, you know, you're spunking your money. You've got teams with budgets a tenth of yours who are doing better than you. So surely you should be looking at your business model. But the, the, thing that, the thing that really annoys me is that it was Crystal Palace that came back to them or it was reported that Crystal Palace came back to them. Crystal Palace of one of these yo-yo clubs, you know, they they have had a, a, you know, a decent run in the Premier Division, but they're always going to be in survival mode. And how how are they the ones that dictate this as well? They're, they're, they're always going to be, you know, there or thereabouts in the in the relegation shake-up, Sab. Well, I, I think you've got that issue around the money. I mean, he's, he's only interested about the TV money. So at the moment, the bulk of the TV money goes to the top 20 clubs. He wanted to go to the top 40 clubs. But in previous times, it, all TV money used to go to 92 clubs. So it's about where you decide to put that cut. Yeah. So, I mean... We, 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 we've already seen, you know, we've seen the spoofs on, on, online, on Twitter. You know, Sky Sports leads. Leads are on telly almost every every bloody day now you know you know you can't say that you've not seen Leeds play you don't know anything about Leeds because they're always on telly so you understand where the frustration is with the fans because you know they are they're constantly that they are the they are the go-to team to go and show because Sky know that they are a, a premiership team trapped in a championship body but they're not a good enough team to get out of it so you know we we are we on we are on par with Leeds. You know, forget how what their what their past is. Forget their you know their deluded. We are champions of Europe. Forget their you know Yeboa goals and you know Chapman and winning the blooming Premier League. Forget all of that. It's it's gone. They are where they are. You know, it's it's the same as like for them to say you're a fourth division club. Yeah, we were. But we're not anymore. You know, history is equal. We were crap. They were great. At the moment, we're the same. And in fact, we're actually better than them. So, fuck off, Leeds. <laughs> Leeds can go away, as Lady has said. But look, we're going to come on to another point as well. Like I said, we'll probably discuss all this at a later time because, like I said to you, the, the manager debate has just been on and on and on. But there's something we also want to discuss here, just very briefly, while we're on the, the subject of TV and, 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 and football on TV. Because next week, we, we're deciding what we're going to do about our podcast because it looks like we're not going to go to Preston next week. We're considering it, but by the time we were on the trains and it was on TV and it would change and all, all that kind of stuff, the fares were really expensive, you've got to stay overnight. Um, and then, you know, somebody said, oh, it's on the red button. Said, oh, it's on the red button. So we're considering whether or not we, you know, we do a podcast next week from the red button as we're watching the Preston game. Maybe we all get together in a pub somewhere and we actually watch a game, we do a podcast, watch a Preston game, which comes back to the fact that if the match wasn't on the red button, would we have been at Preston? I mean, I said to Lane immediately, oh, let's go to Preston because we love Preston game. Yes, we are. Oh, it's on the red button. Oh, decision change. The amount of people that may have done exactly the same type of thing for this game or other games, I don't know, but I'm sure there are very many. Now, 
What interestingly today, Sean Harvey, the EFL boss, said um, on streaming, he goes that they believe that clubs will make money despite the drops in attendance. So they've noticed, I mean, it's only been three TV games so far, um, or more night games, but they've noticed there's been a drop in attendance um, and, and for the TV games, um, the ones with the red button, down to 8.8%. So normally from a Saturday game, for a night game, there's a drop of 8.8% at the moment now with the games on TV. Normally it's about 4.4%. Now it's a very small sample, as they say in the stats world. So you, you, you don't know how that's going to affect and you don't know exactly what the games are. But, you know, it might be games from very large distances and games through derbies. It might be very different. So we'll see how that goes. However, there was one interesting fact that came out. And we got this from one of the newspapers out there which published this info. And I think they got it from the press release. Um, so the information we believe is particularly true, where they believe that Obviously, some of the games are being streamed on iPlayer as well, which gives you the opportunity to watch a game on iPlayer. If you can actually see a game on iPlayer, which is oh, no. not on a Saturday, 3 o'clock. I think you pay £10, you see a game on iPlayer. I, I, I follow. I follow. Sorry, I keep saying I follow player. I player. I follow. So you can watch a game on iFollow, um, pay £10, and you can watch it. Now, you know, some people have taken the opportunity to do that. I've taken the opportunity to do that. When I'm abroad, I've taken the opportunity to do that. Uh, and I know other people have as well. Yeah, you know, that's what you have to do when you're away. Um, now, apparently, the biggest take-up of game of this stream game on iFollow has been the Ipswich versus Norwich game, where 2,500 UK people and 600 international fans have taken up the stream, which is just about 3,000 fans. Now, we were sitting down there thinking, actually, that's, didn't think that was very many. I mean, Laney, what did you think? I thought there would be a much bigger uptake, to be honest with you. I thought um, who, whoever I follow are, I, I would have thought that they would have paid a significant amount of money for the rights to be able to stream um, every every league club's home and away home and away games to predominantly foreign fans, and then to uh, you know significant amount of domestic fans. I, th I think it's a it's a bit of a game changer where you can actually um, stream um, a Saturday three o'clock game to fans of any club. So for the Football League to have um, actually embraced this and accepted it, I think it would have to have been a lot of money. And for those kind of figures, I, it seems to be it's doomed to failure. OK, I'm not entirely sure that I follow is a broadcasting company. I got a feeling they just act as the uh, this or the you know the, the equipment. No, they they they, they kind they kind of the enabler for the EFL. I think it's actually the clubs own it between them through the EFL. I think it's just an enabler. Just you know just has the the sort of the apps and the equipment and stuff to make it happen. Okay. Okay. Well, that, yeah. Maybe that. Uh, they only use one camera. It's a pretty poor broadcast, if we're honest. Um, it's the camera they have anyway, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So that, that actually, in terms of business models, that actually makes a bit more sense. Um, I don't think, but I still don't think they can broadcast Saturday afternoon games in the UK. I still think there's a blanket ban on that between, I don't know, three and five o'clock or something. Because you, uh, well, you can't even well, watch Barcelona uh, between well, three and no, five o'clock. That was, that was a big issue, wasn't it? Because during international weeks, when uh, the League One and League Two were playing on Saturday, they, they were still broadcasting those, and there was a big fuss yes. about it. 
Yeah. yeah, and I think there's some sort of the, 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 apparently that I, the, there's something about that not being a normal fixture day because the rest, because the big clubs mm. don't play. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I believe because I believe that um, Portsmouth Wimbledon was broadcast. Sorry, Wimbledon Portsmouth was broadcast on Saturday because obviously it's very difficult for Portsmouth fans to get Wimbledon t- um, tickets at the um, in, in the away end at Wimbledon. Um, so yeah, but I, and that, that's some sort of workaround, and maybe this is the beginning of it. I mean, ultimately, my point on this is that you know I'm not going to go to Preston um, because I just can't do away games during the week. Um, I would like to watch them, but I'm more than happy to forfeit it because of the damage I think ultimately it does to the live um, experience, the number of people that go to football games. So I'm more than happy for it not to be on, even though I'm probably one of the people that could most um you know most, benefit. Um, benefit from it yeah, yeah. Well, well, ironically you've got a situation like i mean the, the, the extreme situation is you know england playing croatia last week where you've got you know no fans of the stadium and people see what that's like you know the, the question yeah. that you're asking and i think this is where everyone's worrying is that is this eroding away slowly from people going to matches um people getting out of the habit of going to matches if all of a sudden you're not going to go as an away fan or less away fans going does that detract from the atmosphere or is there a balance up saying Actually, it doesn't really matter so much because we're not going to get that many away fans anyway. The fact that they're not reducing the price of the tickets for these games for me actually galls me a little bit because it thinks if Harvey's saying we're going to make money from this, money's obviously come in, but money doesn't seem to have gone back into any particular area, you know, to actually kind of keep the vibe going. So that's one thing for me that's been looked at. What's one also one interesting point is one of our crew who's um, Matt's from Sweden who may be listening now he's, he's gone back to Sweden now and he talked about how interestingly where in Sweden you could pay a particular price can't remember what the price was and you can actually watch every Swedish game if you wanted to three o'clock on a Saturday and it settled itself where all of a sudden the Swedish fans if they want to go to games they actually do go to games and he believes that it doesn't affect um, the game in Sweden on a Saturday because um, the people that go to football really want to go to football and they've got this whole ultra thing and the you know the, the atmosphere is, is really quite 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 mad and quite fervent so that's that's quite an interesting thought um they don't have as nearly as many teams in sweden as they do in the uk so that may be a different scenario over there but he said it's almost yeah sev sorry i I think i think you can see why it might work in some situations i mean there's there's the issue around uh full grounds you know when the ground is full you know like you know leeds takes six million people to every away game and, you know, when, when there's only 1,800 tickets to Griffin Park, they, there's like 4,000 4, people that can't get in. So the chance for them to watch the game, you know, that, that's yeah, possibly I, a good thing. But I, I, I did think that. I did wonder, actually, if maybe the game shouldn't be broadcast until it's sold out or something like that is maybe some sort of compromise. Um, I, I don't know how practical that is, but... But so you know something along those lines, or the away end sold out, or something. You know, um, so maybe there's a compromise there. But again, I, just, uh, I, I also think that they want to go the Spanish route at some stage, or the Italian route, where you know each club can can just completely um, break away. Uh, control, control, yeah, break away pretty much. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know that's that's pretty that's pretty much what the Leeds man's saying. Really, that's what he really means. He means that he wants to be in control of his yeah. own revenue stream. And, yeah, he, you know, he wants he wants he wants to sell every game and uh, get every penny yeah. he can out of it. He, he, what he's saying is, we're on telly pretty much every game anyway, but we're getting the same 
as well, or getting a similar similar amount as and Brentford, who aren't on that often, and or you, know, so you, you do get an amount of money for every time you're on TV, which is you know, it's hundreds of thousands of pounds. So you know, he can't really I complain about that. I, 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 I believe that's a lot less in the EFL than it is in the Premier League. It is. It is, it is. But listen, we'll talk about that more in weeks, but we just thought, you know, just throw it in there because obviously, like I said, we've got a red button game coming up next week, which, you know, quite a few of us have decided not to go to. And how does it affect football? Is it going to affect it in the long term? Apparently, it's a test, the EFL are saying, to see if it's good or is it bad. To us, you know, they need to be looking at how they price these games 100%. Because at the end of the day, is that, and I'm being facetious here, but if a ticket was £3 to get in, then I think they'll get a lot more people at that game and it'll sound a lot better and it'll be a lot better vibe on TV than if they start to charge 25 or £30. Pounds. So that's another issue. But anyway... So, so is, it any, is it any shame in being an RBB, a red button B? Is, it, is there any shame in it or, or not? In terms of red button, it is for me because you, you have to sign up with Sky. Well, you can watch it in the no, local no, pub. No, 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 but in general, not talking about your own subscription, I'm just saying, like, is there any shame in, you know... Watching it on the red it, button. This, this no. the, They are selling it to us now, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an alternative to actually going to the game. And now, you know, for, for me to go to a game, for, for me to go to Preston next Wednesday, I'm going to take an afternoon off work, which is a, a cost. There's my transport, which is going to be at least 40 quid. More than there's that. My, the more, yeah, but at least, at least 40 quid. And then there's the match ticket, which is going to be at least 20 quid. So 25 quid. So there's your 65 quid. That's, that's a month's subscription, pretty much, to Sky. And I can watch that on the red button. So they've made it a no-brainer to not go to that game. So my behaviour changes. And everyone's behaviour changes because of that. It, it is, it's like every game you miss is a month you save on your subscription. But if it wasn't on the red button, would you still go? Yeah. I was going to go. I was going to go. I was going to go. Well, in that case, it is working, isn't it? Of course it's working. It's absolutely mm. working. And I couldn't, I couldn't work out why I went to Ipswich, if I'm honest with you, because I, I knew that game was on the red button. I could have watched that game. You know, and and why would you want to go to any Brentford away game midweek now? Because you know that you're going to save at least a month subscription. But it's not on it's your not, Sky. It's not all about the saving though. That's the thing. It's also about going to the games, being there, getting the vibe. No, of you course, know. of course, it is. You 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 know me. You know we have between us, we've not missed a game for half a decade, Bill. You know, so it's it's not about you know you haven't got to tell me about missing the games. You know, it, it's but sometimes it's pound, shilling, pence, and sometimes you have to weigh up what what the the financial the, the financial implications are. And you know, if you if you're going to save 60, 70 quid, and you're going to pay your seventy five quid Sky, you're going to miss you're going to miss once in a while. And Brentford as a team are going to going to lose because of it. Yeah, I think it's natural to pick and choose, isn't it? When you got that situation, you'll say, "Okay, I'll I'll, I'll go to Ipswich, but I won't go to to Preston." Yeah, yeah. And that's that, and that is what's starting to happen uh, very mm. much this season. We've been in the division for quite a few seasons now, so everyone's starting to pick and choose their games, and it becomes difficult. And it is the team that suffer. And no matter what, you know, if we're not all the, you know, I don't know who's listening to this, but out of Brentford, if you're listening to it, you know, you cannot stop human behaviour. 
And at one minute you sort of say, yeah, we love the fans, we want you to get behind the team, and it's all really fantastic. But at the end of the day, it's also human nature. People say, I can't afford to, I can't go to that. A lot of people won't even go to QPR because the ticket's 32 quid. And they're just like, I'm not having that, especially when it's on TV. Now, the fact is that if all of a sudden we stopped having two and a half thousand at QPR and we had 500, that affects the team. So the fact is you've got, they've got to look at it as a bigger picture. They can't just pick every single one game as it comes and go, oh, we did all right that one. Because you might do all right in one, but if you don't do all right in three games or four games down the line, it affects Brentford overall. And I know there's one thing, and I know for a fact the coaching team, there's one thing that they really care about is atmosphere, right? When we go, Griffin Park's got a great atmosphere. When we go to Lionel Road, it's got to be a great atmosphere. So everyone has to do whatever they need to do to make sure that the atmosphere is good. And one thing they need to do is to make sure that the fan base are motivated and well behind kind of what we do. And listen, this is not picking out saying, you know, but you just have to realise pricing is a massive issue with people. Price sensitivity is. You make you bring it one way or the other, it does really affect people. And, um, you know, look... <laughs> It's got, it's got to be looked into. But anyway, anybody else got anything to say on this? No. We're going to move on. Because talk about price sensitivity. Talk about game sensitivity. We need a twang. We need a twang. Hey, this is Rob from uh, SouthBristol.com, the South Bristol clothing company. Um, I've been a Bristol City fan for 25 years since I came to this country. I'm actually Portuguese. I grew up in Portugal, but came to Bristol as a kid. And uh, Bristol has been in the blood ever since. I actually live in London now, down by the Millwall grounds. So while we come up to see you guys this Saturday, all my neighbours will be coming very soon after. Um, Big, big Bristol City fan. I travel home in a way. And having started one of the very first Bristol City websites more than 20 years ago, um, and the most popular one at the time, um, kind of still in the blood. So I tend to try and help out other other websites, podcasts, and uh, write reports from away games for people who don't get to go to them. Last season, Bristol City had a tremendous season, blowing out only at the very end. This season, you haven't started so well. What's the difference between this season and last so that is really interesting how you've perceived our start to the season because it's it's kind of all relative so if you guys think we haven't started so well it's actually very strange because i think we started really well compared to what i thought would happen so don't forget we finished the end of last season actually as we did kind of through patches in the previous season really really badly not just results but the way we were playing like it was like the, the bottom falling out of the team so for example when you beat us at ashton gate um in april is it or march we are a better team than you played then. I mean, we were absolutely horrific then. Um, we've been good in patches this season. We've been bad in patches, but I expected us to be down the bottom early on this season. A whole new team, lots of new faces. We lost our three best players by most people's opinion and certainly the three players who contributed the most goals. Lots of players to bed in. Didn't expect this to go well and actually pleasantly surprised. First few games, we looked like we had a style of play, which has always been the challenge with Lee Johnson. He's got a style of play he wants to play, but when it goes away from him, he doesn't know what to do. Um, so we've looked a bit more organised this season. We started 
started winning games. We won four in a row, as always the way with Lee Johnson. It's always in streaks. We look really compelling, won away at Swansea, um, had a number of other good results. And then it's kind of fallen away since then and we've looked really laboured and looked like we don't know what we're doing. We've had a lot of injuries, but when you talk about um, we haven't started too well, I think we've done all right. I think we've done better than I thought we would. Obviously, we're concerned at the moment because we've been on a bit of a run without results. Um, but I'll tell you what, in our winning run of four games, the win against Sheffield United at home, for me, I've always been unsure about Lee Johnson. He's got his, his, his merits, but he's also got some massive flaws. But I saw a performance against Sheffield United that made me think we have got the right manager here and we're going places. So famous last words, we've been really struggling since then. You had some great attacking players in your side last season with Tammy Abraham and Bobby Reid. Andreas Wyman has come in from Derby. Is he looking like a hot prospect? Does anyone else look like they're doing the business for you? Well, first of all, um, Billy, we didn't have Tammy Abraham last season. That was the season before last. But I guess it's easy to blur into one when we have so many classy strikers. Because, of course, you mentioned Bobby Reid. For me, he's one of the best players I've seen for an individual season. I mean, no one expected it because he's been quite a young player in the team and he's, he's never been quite the finished product. But he just had one of those dream seasons last season where he just was the standout player, not just in the team, but potentially one of the ones in the division. So we've certainly had some great attacking players. Andreas Feynman didn't excite everyone when we signed him. But I'll tell you what, the first month of the season, everyone was fully on board. Different type of player, works very hard, can play out wide, can play through the middle. Hasn't got the natural pace, but he's a smart player and he makes room for the other players to get involved. So he's really been central to everything we've done well this season. Um, With that said... I kind of get the impression he's been found out for the last month or so. Uh, he's certainly not been the same player. I think we've got um, opposition working out that if he's making runs into channels, as long as you cut him out, as, he, as long as he can't control the first ball and bring other people into play, we're not going to be so good. So um, he is looking like a prospect. I think he is going to be one of our best players this season, but I think what he's demonstrated in the early part of the season, he may struggle to continue throughout the season. And of course, he's never been a prolific goal scorer, even though he started off the season on fire. The other people that look interesting, Nicholas Eliasson, a very young player, Swedish under-21, had a fantastic pre-season, came roaring out of the blocks at the start of the season, just a demon on the wing. You know, he looks like a premiership player in terms of the skills with the ball. He's he's not a big player, so you think he'll get mustered off the ball, but he's got some lovely touches. He can take the ball one way, the other way, bring it back past a, a full-back, and then his crossing is just the best we've had for years. I mean, he's just a phenomenally good crosser of the ball. Great lot of opportunities. His problem is he loses confidence, and if he gets knocked out of the team, he struggles to get back in the team because... I'm not convinced Lee Johnson has confidence in him yet because of his age, um, but also he himself can get go missing in games. So that's a risk. And I guess the only other attacking people that we should talk about are Famara Juju, who's the most goals from last season that's still here. Interesting player, our most expensive signing ever. But um, he kind of started the season on the bench, well, not even on the bench, he started the season not playing because he was banned for six, six games due to a very dubious off-the-ball issue uh, with your friends in Birmingham. And uh, subsequent to that, he hasn't looked like the same player yet. He's scored one goal since he's been back, and I think there's work to do there. Our biggest problem with him is he doesn't fit into our style of play, so he's kind of like kind of, you know, the odd man out all the time, and we're trying to fit him in. So he's an interesting one. The other two players, quickly call out for you. Um, we've got a striker called Moisa. We signed from Cheltenham. Um, he was a punt, two million. I know you guys will go crikey if you can say two million is a punt, that's a lot. But he was a punt at two million because I think there was some League One team sniffing around. I'm not sure there was interest at our level. Uh, but you know what? I've watched tape on him and I saw him in pre-season in a couple of games. We only got a few sights of him because he only came in late in the in pre-season. But he looks a player. He's got the same sort of instincts and touch as Tammy Abraham in the box. He's always looking for space, always looking to get on the end of things. So he's not the sort of player we've got in the team. He's that sort of predator, that finisher. And I think he'll be really interesting when he's back from injury. The same can be said of a player called Habib Adekalan. 
um, who is a, a Londoner as well. Um, he came from Scunthorpe. I think he was originally in West Ham's youth team, I want to say. Um, haven't played for us yet, but seeing tape on him, he's clearly a very fast and very clever player who's also a bit of a demon on the wing. So if we can get those players involved, I think it'll make it easier for us to spread the pitch and cause problems playing players through the middle and out wide, which is how Lee Johnson wants to play. The pressure seems to be off City this season financially due to the sale of players mainly. But the view is you have been skirting very close to the financial fair play threshold. Does this mean that promotion is massively important for you in the next few years? If not, could City implode? Or do you think actually City have another plan? Wow, OK. So um, it's always interesting to hear how other people think about it. So I've often wondered about that because we don't think of ourselves as necessarily skating close to financial fair play. And we certainly, well, I say we, a lot of people who support Bristol City don't perceive us to be a big team who spends a lot of money. I've actually been going against that a few times in the last couple of years, particularly when we've been struggling and saying, well, you know, let's hold, let's hold on. I know we're not the biggest spenders of the division, but we have spent a fair amount of money over the last couple of years. Lee Johnson certainly hasn't been hard done by when it comes to spending in the transfer market. So you're right. We've spent a lot of money, but we have sold a lot of money. We sold Jonathan Codger again to your friends, Aston Villa um, for north of 15 million um, at nearly two seasons ago. Um, and we obviously sold a whole shed load of players last season or in the summer for nigh on 25 million. So we've made a lot of money um, and that goes back into the team and we always spend less than we make. So I'm not sure we do think of ourselves as close to financial fair play, particularly when you add in that our attendances have been creeping up and up, our, you know, our commercial revenues, because we've had a, a ground that's historically been fairly dilapidated or certainly not high quality in the way a lot of championship grounds are. Um, the new Bristol City Stadium, if you want to call it that, or certainly the updated Ashton Gate, is a real money spinner. There's lots going on and lots coming. So I don't think we see ourselves struggling for finan against financial fair play. Um, it does mean, though, you're right, promotion probably isn't the ultimate aim. I know a lot of fans, again, want to see this and want to think of City progressing every season. For me, I'm happy to consolidate. This is a division that's it's OK to be stick around for a while, as, as Brentford has shown, for example. Um, and I think we need to build the slow and steady way, and that's the mantra of the owner, uh, which means we're not going to be spending crazy money, um, as we didn't do in January, by the way, when we were in second place with just four months to go. We're going to continue investing in youth players and building a team that way. The international break is just over. Lloyd Kelly, who is described as Bristol City's most exciting young prospect by 442 magazine, played for England under-20s this week. Meanwhile, Jay De Silva played in England under-21s match this week against Andorra, which also saw Erzy Concert, a Brentford defender, score his first international goal. On top of that, Jay's brother Josh has been named Brentford's most exciting youth prospect, despite the fact he's actually not played for us since he's joined from Arsenal, and he's coming back from injury. This season, Brentford have an average age of 24 years and three months, whereas Bristol City have an average age of 25 years and nine months. Is youth the key, do you think, looking at what's happening internationally? And do you think your slightly more mature side are going to have an advantage over Brentford? So, yeah, so, I mean, you're just building on my point. So youth is absolutely the key thing for Bristol City. But the funny thing is, it's kind of always been the plan. And this is one of the things that you don't understand when you're outside of Bristol City. We've always thought we produce good young players. And actually, we probably have to an extent. You know, I can go back throughout my time being a Bristol City fan and name, as probably most fans can do, players every couple of years who are named the next big thing or the next X or the next Y. And in many cases, we had players who were going into the England under-16s, which doesn't mean a lot. 
Our biggest problem was at both ends of the flow. Recruitment, we weren't getting so many through the door because time goes go by, go, gone by. We were kind of fishing in the same pond as Bristol Rovers because we were used to be at a, a similar level. Um, we also had teams like Norwich and Southampton who actively were predatory around the Bristol area, recruiting footballers. So they, they had a lot of quality players out of Bristol because they were just better at finding players before the days of academies and having um, limited uh, uh, networks and limited um, radiuses that you can recruit. Since then, we've just invested heavily in our academy. But as I said, we've, we've produced players, but they've never pushed on. So at the other end of the pipeline, our other problem was we produced amazing players who you'd see in youth teams, maybe even in the reserves and go, they're going to be amazing. And then they'd come into the first team and they would, they would just freeze up and they just wouldn't be a player. They wouldn't even look like a, you know, a man's football player. They just wouldn't develop into a professional footballer. And that was our other big issue. We just produced young players and they would just kind of fizzle out at the age of 18 because they just were never good enough to develop into the first team. So what's really changed in the last 10 years is the academy has just continued building and investing in programmes to develop players, in programmes to um, develop the coaching, the infrastructure. And we're now seeing the, the, the benefits of that. I mean, Lloyd Kelly, who is certainly in my view, on, on par to be the, the best player we've ever produced, captain in the under-20s already for England, um, looks like he could walk into the Premiership now, looks just an incredible player for his age. That's the sort of calibre we're, we're producing in addition to Bobby Reid and Joe Bryan, who we both sold for big numbers last, last summer. So I think we've stepped it up a gear, and one of the reasons we've done that is, is at that end where players are coming into men's football. We're now much more professional about getting them into the right teams on loan, getting them into professional games, getting them moving up the league slowly to see what we've got, because one of our problems was we didn't know what we had. We'd try and throw it into our own team, if they weren't good enough we got rid of them so we've got players out now we're almost the Chelsea of, of the Championship I'm sure there's other teams that can say this but at least in the West Country we've got players that we all follow at multiple levels you know smashing it up for Newport County smashing it up for other teams we've got two players on loan at South End so really exciting to see that progress and that's the way we're going to build great 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 young players they may not be ready for the Championship but get them playing through the leagues Last season you said to me that Brentford were the best side you played that season and it was amazing that you even got a point from us over the two games. With Dean Smith gone now, are you expecting an easier ride? Give us a score prediction. You are correct. I did say Brentford was the best side we played, and that was true. I think I said it to you before you played at Ashton Gate, and it was certainly true after you played us at Ashton Gate because you played us off the park, and you know there was howls of derision, not just because we were going through the depths of despair in the way we were playing then, but because you actually completely outplayed us at home, and that's never a pretty sight. Um, this time, Dean Smith gone. My, I don't know a lot about your new manager, but you know the sense that he's been there for two years and has come through the ranks. You're clearly a club that knows how to play football, has a style of play, um, and has been doing very well. I watched you guys against Villa when you were up at Villa, and I just thought that was a fantastic performance from you guys. Everything I think about the way you play against us, get the ball down, move it quickly, get the ball out on the wings, get the ball to the channels, just get people spreading defenders and just giving them a hard time like you've done to us so many times at Griffin Park, where our defenders are dragged one way or the other, and you've got a player in the middle to apply the finish. So, so listen, I, if, if you've brought someone through the ranks to be your new manager who's been there for two years, I can only see evolution rather than revolution. So I don't expect any differences. Um, just to be absolutely sarcastic and candid with you, I can't remember us having a good result against Brentford. I'm, I'm going back to now. Probably when Gary Johnson was appointed, we won 3-1 at your place. I just can't think of many wins against you. You're somewhat of a bogey team. You always play well against us. Even when we got a draw at your place two seasons ago, you absolutely wiped the floor with us. You should have thrashed us. So I, I think you could have Mr Blobby in charge and thrash us. So I'm not expecting a lot this, this Saturday. We have a historic problem coming out of international breaks that the players just don't turn up. Um, I'm not sure we've ever done this coming off a, a poor run we've been on already. But nonetheless, 
I did some uh, research at the end of last season because it seemed to be really odd. And we've literally won one game coming off an international break going back three years with Lee Johnson. So we struggle after international breaks. We're not informed. You guys always have a good job, do a good job against us. So it's anybody's bet how the game will go. Morpé looks a stunning player up front for you guys. You play football the way that Lee Johnson wants to play football, which is kind of... Uh, commendable for you guys but annoying for us because we'll probably get taught a lesson on Saturday um, best comparison I can give recently we went up to Rotherham who hadn't been playing particularly well although it was very solid at home and I thought they played the sort of game you play they were very quick to get the ball down they always had an extra man in field dropping out of attack but then they had other people overlapping so they could get the ball out wide and just create those overloads and just kind of drag defenders one way and the other Rotherham took us to pieces for 60 minutes up at, um, uh, at the uh, New York Stadium um, and frankly could have beaten us and should have beaten us um, and if you play anything like you're capable of I think you beat us as well so I don't know I, th I think you'll probably win by one or two goals um, probably two goals just based on our history together but the unthinkable could happen and everything could be the other way around and we could have a fantastic result you just never know with Bristol City because Lee Johnson is just such a streaky manager and we've now had five games without a win so perhaps it's now time to have a set of wins again so who knows and Bristol City coming down on Saturday very good last season cut runs and all sorts Man United tears when Bristol City beat them well this is a very different season this season and Brentford new head coach this is our chance to put a stamp to say nothing has changed in fact we're even better than when we left off a couple of seasons ago, a couple of weeks ago. Guys, what are you saying? Um, I think, well, I think, um, I think it's going to be, um, I think it'll be tight. I don't think, the only thing I would say is that Bristol City have been on a pretty stodgy run. Um, it's, they've not, they've, since that international, the previous international break, they won one and then they've lost, um, lost, drawn, drawn, lost. So they're not on a great run. Um, we've not been on the best run, but, we, but we're the ones with something that might be flipped or might change, or we played very well in our last game. So, um, I, you know, I think Bristol are one of those teams now. They're, 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 they're not, you know, we sh teams like Bristol, none of that rubbish, because Bristol, have, they've shown they're a good championship side as well, as, as, as much as we have, and I think it'll be tight. But I think, um, and it's difficult to say because we don't really know what to expect on Saturday, but... Um, I think it'll be fresh. There'll be something different. I think the players have got something to play for. They've got something, you know, they've got to play for their places again, haven't they? It's a bit like the start of the season again. And um, I think we could come out on top. I'll probably go for something like a 2-1. 2-1 yeah, okay. to the Allards. Delaney. I think um, Thomas Frank has, has got to get a reaction. Absolutely. You know, you know it's his first game in charge. It, there's, there's, it, he, 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 can't, he can't mark his first game in charge with some sort of limp performance so the players need to kind of get themselves up for the the the, the really critical um beating of bristol city they have to beat bristol city we've not won for a while now we've had a great start to the season um we're sitting in seventh position we've not won for three or four games well more than that four or five games five so yeah so we need to we need to start winning um and Bristol City, not on a great run. So that that's there. Another draw. A draw. Well, it won't it won't be a disaster, but it's we, we have to win this one. We have to win this. Score prediction. Uh three one Bs. Three one Bs. Seven I, I I think we'll we'll play very well. I think the the players will come out for for Thomas Frank and I think um we'll put on a, a really good performance. But there's just something about whenever anything changes we get excited and there was always that little bit of a letdown. 
So I, I can see it being a draw. I think we we will play well. It'll it'll look good. No one's going to be too disappointed, but something's going to happen, and we'll just uh, we'll just get a one-one draw. I reckon. One-one draw. And talk about one-one draws. I have to go back to our last Leeds podcast, which is the first time ever in 450 podcasts and 900,000 listens that we actually had everybody around the table <laughs> had the same score. One all mm-hmm. had everyone, and they got it absolutely spot on, which was pretty amazing. So, uh, but anyway, I'm coming to me, the B, and I am saying that I think that we're back. The Frank will come on. He'll tighten everything up. A little bit nervous that um, that, that Chris Meppham, I think he possibly might be out because he got pulled from the Wales game. He didn't even play the Wales game. He got pulled before it. So whether or not it's a precaution, whether or not he got an injury, we've heard nothing about that. So that's a little bit of like, oh no. But then obviously we've got um, Javier, our French um, man who's going to step in. You know, Spanish guy. Where's he from? He's from France. You know, so (laughs) it's interesting. I was doing a bit of research for the the Women's World Cup next year as well. I'm sure sure you were. Yes, I was. I've already sort of booked up my accommodation for that and everything like that. I'm sure you have. Yes, I have. And there's a a series of games in wrong as well. So I had to make sure. I'm sure there is. Fingers fingers crossed that... um, Yeah, I'm sure fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be playing in wrong so that I can go down there and actually see it myself in person. But um, like I said to you, 2 0, I think, to the Mighty Bees against Bristol City. Um, it'll be interesting as well to see what, what he's going to say, whether or not he might put Bentley back in goal. He's going to keep, you know, you know whether or not Bentley was, you know, what the situation is going to be there. And also what, how he's going to do, you know, with the midfield, with the switching, where, you know, you know what his kind of favourite combination is going to be. But I'm going to go for a 2 0 to the Mighty Bees and uh, looking forward to Thomas Frank's red and white army and that's Frank's because it's Thomas Frank's apostrophe S red and white army (laughs) we need to maybe we need to have a Frank stroke Frank's amnesty where you're allowed to say Frank's without it being like like a a a punitive measure no that's right maybe they can call you David Lane's yeah, I've been called a lot worse recently. <laughs> anyway, listen, listen, it's good chat. It's a good chat again. We've got the new manager coming in. We've got the new manager bounce, hopefully, on Saturday. We've got Bristol City coming down. Bristol City, as you've heard, they give us a lot of respect. They think we're a very good side, but we need to show people we need to not let ourselves down. So, fingers crossed, we'll do the business. But Besotted Pride of West London, Codfast, vote for us at besotted.com and just go on that little badge, FSF. Section six and section eight. That's the easiest way I'm going to go about section it. Section six and section eight. It definitely sounds like a party defence. <laughs> and also, uh, like I said to you, just just, just click on Besotted on, on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and everywhere that you can find us, and just keep following us. And thank you very much for listening, everybody. We're going to actually read out some more reviews because we haven't read out any reviews for a while that you put on, um, on iTunes. Been any. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm going to write a few more so I can read them out. So anyway, but if you could put your review on there and give us a big five out of five we've got loads and loads of five out of five actually we are really 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 well reviewed podcast so thank you for listening thank you for reviewing us thank you and give us a stars and give us more if you can do but hey, Saturday, Phil, but Phil yes. the, 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 the abuse it still makes us laugh as well so do, do whatever you want yes. you know what I mean of course just do do what you want out there but anyway listen the Saturday Pride of West podcast we're going Saturday Griffin Park we're back football is back at Griffin Park and fingers crossed we're going to get a victory as we all say here in the virtual bar come on yeah. you
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.